You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Thank you very much, Adam. Very generous introduction there, I would say. Uh, I'm going to be talking today uh, in the last of a series on the Holy Spirit. So last week, if you're here, Pete talked, about, uh, talked on the gifts of the Spirit. And today, I will conclude the series with a talk on the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? Uh, Fantastic. Right. If you cast your mind back to two years ago, uh, 2013, we had a disaster in this country. Somehow, horse meat snuck into the food, into, into food, and everybody went berserk about it. The comedians were going wild, and this is one of the uh, 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 materials <laughs> that came from that time. Uh, vegetarians were all over the place telling us how they have been warning us about this <laughs> for years. Vegans, ah, they were even more full of in- indignation. We've been telling you, stop eating meat. Uh, supermarkets were obviously very, very embarrassed about the situation, and people like myself just thought, if it doesn't kill you, it can only make you better. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I think one thing that I... Upon reflection, one thing I've realized is what happened there, it just reminds us that we have drifted away from a time where we were all very close to the land. We all knew, we all grew things, we all grew animals. Uh, We knew a little bit about where our food came from. Uh, And I thought, I'm going to do a small exercise here today to see how, how, what's your knowledge? How do you know your meat? Uh, How do you know your meat? So, here are some examples. Can anybody tell me, what, where, what meat this is? What animal this is from? Anybody? Beef. beef. Okay. Second one? Okay. Beef again. <laughs> Third one? Beef. Wonderful. Okay. Show us what it is. What you've just... So now you know. And what I'm trying to show you is you know the animal, but you do not recognize the meat. Yeah? That's, that's, that's where we are today because of the way things have moved. What I realized is with animals, that's the case. We know the animal, we do not recognize the meat. With plants, we know the fruit, but we don't recognize the tree. Yeah? So let's do a small exercise. James and Charlotte, if you're here, please do not participate. <laughs> James and Charlotte are very good. They're really good with this kind of stuff. Yeah. So... What tree is this, anyone? Cherry, cherry, orange. What about that one? Apple, okay. Can you please reveal? Ah. Ah. So, we know the fruit. We don't know the tree. But what does what, what this have to do with today's talk? Well, it's about the fruit of the Spirit. God wants us to bear good fruit, which is good godly character, because by people seeing the fruit, they give glory to God, who is the tree. I'm going to show a scripture here, which I'm going to read. I'm going to have to read from the screen, because the version on the screen is quite different from my version. Jesus said in John chapter 1, from verse 1 to 5, I am the real vine, or I am the tree, and my father is the gardener. He breaks off every branch in me that does not bear fruit, and he prunes every branch that does bear fruit so that it will be clean and bear even more fruit. 
you have been made clean already by the teaching I have given you. Remain united to me, and I remain united to you. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. It can do so only if it remains in the vine, in the tree. In the same way, you cannot bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, I am the tree, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will bear much fruit, for you can do absolutely nothing without me. If there's anything you take away from here, this one. You can do nothing without Jesus. You can do nothing without him. And Jesus very clearly says here, we've got to abide in him and allow his word to abide in us, to cleanse us, to transform us. And God is the gardener who uses the word to transform us. Jesus is like the stem, if you like, of the tree through which the Holy Spirit flows into the branches, which is us, and we bear very good fruit. Now, you might say, what are these fruit? Now, I'm going to reveal to you from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22. So, at the top there, there are about nine of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, faithfulness, it says there, gentleness or humility, and self-control. What I think I've realized is that these fruits are best on display in a place of darkness or in a time of difficulty. That's when they actually blossom. That's when they, actually, that's when they should blossom, actually. Uh, and I've put this analysis here because this is my thinking. When I've looked at this fruit, I've realized that love and faith appear to be core fruits. Other fruits tend to resolve around them. And I'm going to use a story to illustrate my thinking, how faith will cause you to be joyful. Faith will cause you to have peace, will cause you to be patient. How love will provoke you to be kind and to be good to people. So let's read our story. This is a true story that happened in the book of Acts chapter 16. It's a long one. We've got to read it together. No, I just read it, but you can, you can read in your minds. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, so this is Luke writing, we were met by a young servant woman who had an evil spirit that enabled her to predict the future. She earned a lot of money for her owners by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God. They announce to you how you can be saved, which is quite true. She did this for many days until Paul became so upset that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus, I order you to come out of her. The spirit went out of her that very moment. When her owners realized that their chance of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them to the authorities in the public square. They brought them before the Roman officials and said, These men are Jews, and they are causing trouble in our city. They are teaching customs that are against our law. We are Roman citizens. We cannot accept these customs or practices that these men are practicing. And the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. Then the officials tore the clothes of Paul and Silas and ordered them to be whipped. Okay? So you can imagine, this is not looking good. It's, looking, it's not looking good for Paul and Silas. Things have just gone bad for them. So what happens then? Next. Okay. After a severe beating, they were thrown into jail. And the jailer was ordered to lock them up tight. Not just ordinarily tight locking. Upon receiving this order, the jailer, obviously very enthusiastic, he threw them into the inner cell and fastened their feet 
between heavy blocks of wood. So he's very, a very compliant jailer. About midnight, this is when you should be absolutely miserable now. You're thinking, they've not come to bail me. This is getting terrible. It's really cold. It's really dark. What were they doing? Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them, which is what you will see. You probably don't realize this, but your colleagues look at what you do. They listen to what you say. They're very, you don't realize, but they observe what you're doing. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison to its foundations. At once, all the doors opened and the chains fell off the prisoners. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison door open, he thought that the prisoners had escaped. So he pulled out his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul, he could have whispered, yeah, but he shouted at the top of his voice, Don't harm yourself, we are all here. So as you can see, Paul and Silas, you can see these are people, obviously, they're Christians, they're filled with Jesus, they're filled with his spirit. You can see, if you look at verse 25, you know, at the darkest time, you can see they have joy, one of the fruits of the spirit. And I think the faith, their faith helps them at that time when they should have been in difficulty, thinking it's not going to get better. Faith. Their belief allows them to be singing songs. They were joyful. Uh, they had peace. They could have been restless thinking, what's going to happen in the morning? What's going to happen? No, they had peace. They were even patient. If you look at verse 28, which is very, very telling, when the jailer was about to kill himself, you're thinking, yeah, he should kill himself. He has been nasty to us. But what do they do? The love provokes them to be gentle. No, don't harm yourself. They even exercise, I think this is where self-control for me is massive. You know, they exercise self-control. They shouted out, do not kill yourself. They were good to him. They were good. So I just reckon, if you were put in that situation, someone has treated you that badly, how would you have responded? How would you have responded in that situation? Would you have shouted, don't kill yourself? Would you have said, yeah, we're not going to say anything. He can kill himself. He's been torturing us all night. Do you feel that sometimes you struggle to exhibit these fruits of the Spirit? One thing that Paul and Silas did, and why they could behave in such a unique way, is that they had Jesus in their lives. They had the Holy Spirit in them. And so you could even say their behavior was supernatural. It wasn't natural, because naturally, you'd want to give back as people have given to you. Okay, so we have seen how a person with the Spirit behaves, the fruit that is demonstrated. Let us see how a person without Jesus in their lives, how, you know, Let's just look at a case study, if you like, of someone that doesn't have that. So, the next person we're going to look at. So, we've looked at Paul and Silas. We're now going to look at the jailer. The jailer. So, I've captured here. We don't see a lot of stuff about the jailer, I have to say. There's only two and a half verses. So, if you look at these purple verses, I'm not going to read these. But if you look at them, the purple, because we've read this already. And I'm going to give you one minute to talk to the person next to you. And this is your assignment. One minute, I'm going to pull you back very quickly. Your assignment is, look at this jailer's information, what you can see there, and tell me, can you see any of the fruits, any of the fruits of the Spirit, anyone? Yeah, I've put them in a few clusters uh, for you to be able to, so just focus, don't, don't do all, don't do all, just focus on one cluster. Can you see any sign of love or joy or peace or any of them? Yeah, give you one minute, talk to the person next to you. And I'll, I'll reconvene.
Okay. Let's come back. Let's come back. Let's come back. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm just going to go by cluster. Love, joy, peace. Any evidence from anybody? Anything jumping out about love? No? What about patience, goodness, gentleness? Anything to suggest they had that he had that? No? Finally, faith, meekness, self-control. Any? No, no. I don't think there is any. You, would argue, you could argue that there's not a lot going on here. It's only two and a half verses. Uh, you've obviously looked. There's nothing. The truth of the matter is there was nothing showing from him. But then that is not surprising because he did not have Jesus or the Holy Spirit in his life. So how can we have more fruit of the Spirit? Because we are going to be faced with challenging situations as Christians. How do we, have, how do we respond in a way when challenged that would make people think, wow, there's something unique about him. He definitely had something in him or her that represented, that shows us the character of Jesus. Well, there are two things that I think we can do to help us demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit more. The first one is we need to invite Jesus and his Holy Spirit into our lives. That has to be the beginning. And the second thing is, back to the whole, going back to the land, we need to develop good agricultural practices. And I'm going to talk a bit about that uh, later. So let's focus first on the first one, inviting the Holy Spirit. We've already read in John chapter 15, verse 4 to 5, Jesus says it very clearly, without me, you can do nothing. It all comes from me. We have seen from Paul and Silas that that is true. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we can behave in supernatural ways, even though we're natural people. We can see also that when things got tied for the jailer, a person who did not have Jesus or the Holy Spirit in his life, the opposite was in display. By receiving Jesus into our lives, we can attach our branch to his stem, and the Holy Spirit can flow into us, and we can bear good fruit. Also, we can also ask the Holy Spirit to fill us in an even, in an even bigger measure so that we can demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. The good thing is, the jailer did something amazing. So how did the jailer respond? We know where the story stopped. He, had just about, he was just about to kill himself, and he was told to stop. Don't kill yourself, we are all here. So how does he respond? So we go back to our passage. So this is what happens. The jailer called for a light. He rushed in and fell trembling at the feet of Paul and Silas. Then he said, then he let them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I'm hoping if you're here today and you've never invited Jesus into your life, you'd be asking that question as well. Because there's going to be an opportunity later for you to accept Jesus into your life. They answered, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your family. Then they preached the word of the Lord to him and all the others in the house. So they suddenly introduced him to Jesus uh, for him to receive Jesus into his life. Okay. We're going to go to the next uh, step now. So he's accepted Jesus into his life. So this is a matter of minutes, maybe, maybe an hour or two. I ask you now, so that's what happens. And then... I'm just going to read this part quickly, and we're going to do the same exercise again. This is a few minutes later. At that very hour of the night, the jailer took them 
He washed their wounds. He and all his family were baptized at once. Then he took Paul and Silas up to his house. He gave them some food to eat. He and his family were filled with joy because they now believed in God. So you have one minute. Any evidence? Remember, the, the amount of verses is not much. So before we had two and a half verses, now we have even less. We have two. Okay? I give you one minute. Talk to your neighbor. Focus on the cluster. Can you see any, any hints of the fruit of the Spirit? Right, you have one minute. Okay, let's come back. Let's come back. Wonderful. Any love, joy, or peace? Yeah? Gentleness, goodness? Faith, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Minutes. The only difference was that Jesus had come into his life. If you look at verse 33, you can see love is now producing goodness, kindness, gentleness. If you see verse 34, which is quite an important, very telling one, he was about to kill himself. Why? He was probably terrified that the next morning he was going to be in big trouble. Now, the next morning hasn't come, but faith in his heart is now generating joy. He's now at peace with himself. Why? Because he now believes in God. Does this sound attractive to you? Yeah. Do you want to feel joy, peace? Not, re- not related to how your job is going or what your boss is going to say. Real joy, real peace from the heart. And I urge you today, if you haven't received Jesus, why don't you accept him today? He can make all the difference. We're going to talk about the next one. So the first one was you've got to invite Jesus into your life. The second one is the good agricultural practices, which I think will apply to a number of us here. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Once there was a man who went out to sow grain. So this is a man who doesn't go to Tesco. He's got to plant his own food. As he scattered the seed in the field, some of it fell on the path where it was stepped, stepped upon and the birds ate it up. Some of it fell on rocky ground and the plants sprouted. They dried up because the soil had no moisture. Some of the seeds fell among thorn bushes, which grew up within the plants and choked them. And some seeds fell in good soil. The plants grew and bore grain, 100 grains each. So Jesus is telling a story here, and if I was there and you were there, we would have been very confused. So we need an interpretation. But Jesus is wonderful, so he does that. Yeah? So this is what the parable means. The seed is the word of God. The seed that fell along the path stands for those who hear. But the devil comes and takes the message away from their heart in order to keep them from believing and being saved. The seeds that fell on rocky ground stand for those who hear the message, receive it gladly, but it does not sink deep into them. They believe only for a while, but when the time of testing comes, they fall away. The seeds that fall or fell among thorn bushes stand for those who hear, but the worries and the riches and the pleasures of this life crowd in and choke them, and their fruit never ripens. The seeds that fell in good soil stand for those who hear the message, retain it in a good and obedient heart, and they persist until they bear fruit. You can see that very clearly, if we want to focus on the bottom bit, which is where we all want to be, is that there is a hearing that needs to be done, 
There's a retaining in a good and obedient heart that needs to be done. Now go back, go back. And there is a persisting that needs to be done for us to bear fruit. Let's talk about hearing. So today, you've all made the effort to come out here to hear God's word, which is wonderful, which is fantastic. And I think it is going to go a long way to help you bear good fruit. However, is it a Sunday-only activity? Or do you do more outside of this place? Do you make an effort to maybe study your Bible during the week? Do you make an effort to maybe consume other sources of information that help you grow your faith? Or is it after Sunday, bang, it's football. Just focus on the football and spend ages on it. Or other things. These things are not bad things. But for your heart to be softened and ready for God's word, surely you've got to do more than just sitting, coming to church on a Sunday to hear about God. God's word should be allowed to continue to cleanse us. We need to submit ourselves to God totally and make our hearts continuously receptive to his word and instructions. Also, as Christians, we're going to have God speaking to us. God speaks to his children in different ways. And when he does that, how do we respond? Have we developed the art of hearing God speak to us? That is something that's absolutely crucial, I believe, as a Christian. If you are going to see the miraculous happen, if you're going to see the supernatural happen, you've got to be able to say, this is God speaking to me personally. After all, this relationship with God is a personal relationship. And therefore, we've got to have God speaking to us personally. That is the way in which we will go from just being uh, people who call ourselves Christians to people who actually have the signs and demonstrations of what a Christian should look like. And when God does then speak to you, do you actually do it? Do you obey God's word? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, there is a statement there that says, do not quench the spirit. Do not quench the spirit. If the Lord is saying, maybe you should speak to that person. Maybe you should give a little bit more. Maybe you should help. Maybe you should, and you think, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to spend the money. Or no, I don't want to inconvenience myself. Or it's too embarrassing. Or what if he doesn't believe? Or what if he laughs in my face? I mean, all those things are real. Those things could happen. <laughs> but that is not the point. The point is we've got to listen to the voice of God and we've got to prepare to obey. Or else we quench the spirit. Because after a while, he doesn't bother talking to us because we never do anything he tells us to do. The second thing there is about retaining the word in a good and obedient heart. Have you become cynical about God's word? Maybe when you started out as a Christian, you were full of faith, you were buzzing, you were open to anything, you would pray for the sick, and then things started to happen. A few knocks, a few bruises, a few unanswered, well, unanswered prayers. We know all prayers are answered one way or another, but let's assume the answer doesn't come when you're expecting. Do you suddenly think, oh, that's it now, not gonna, I'm not going to put myself out anymore, I'm very cynical now. Or maybe when you started out as a young child in Sunday school, you heard the stories of Moses and the parting of the Red Sea. You thought, absolutely. You heard Daniel, the lion's den. You thought, that's wonderful. And then suddenly you go to university and everyone says, that's nonsense. No one believes that. And suddenly you're thinking, actually, that probably didn't happen. It's not true. You've become cynical, perhaps. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that later. How about persisting? Are you prepared to hold on until it happens? If you think about a farmer who has uh, some seeds, you've got to put it out there in the soil. And there is no guarantee anything is going to happen. The, soil is, the, the seed is buried under the ground. They've got to water it. They've got to clear the weeds. Can you imagine all that stuff going on with nothing to show for it? It's all in the ground. But if you go, the alternative is to go and dig up the seed and eat it. In which case, you will never get a harvest. 
So you to, to see a harvest, you've got to persist. You've got to hold on uh, until the, the, the victory does, uh, you know, the, the plant comes up and produce, produces its full fruit. So persisting is fairly straightforward. Hearing, fairly straightforward. Good and obedient heart, I think we need to look at that a little bit more. So we're going to do that now. We retain a good and obedient heart by creating the right environment, the right environment, if you like, the right soil for God's word to land and to produce good fruit. I was watching a program recently about a family who moved into one of these Pacific islands, a very small island. They were keen to get away from all the hustle and bustle of city life, and they took their family, three kids, and they moved to this Pacific island. They built their own house. They had to grow their own food, and they needed to get some manure. And the only way they could do that, because there was no, nothing else, they had to go into these caves and get bat feces. Yeah? Bat feces. It's a nasty business. <laughs> Terrible in every way. But they need to put that manure in the ground. That was how important it was to them to get it. I mentioned earlier two things, two key fruits, or two key uh, fruits of the Spirit that I felt appeared to be the core of the others, love and faith. So I'm going to focus on those two to see how can we enable love and faith to grow in our hearts. Because if they do, then suddenly out of faith will come joy and peace and patience. And out of love will come you know, goodness and gentleness and kindness. So let's look at love to start with. Love is best demonstrated, I think, by kindness. Yeah? And kindness, the greatest act of kindness is forgiveness. It's to say to somebody, you have hurt me badly, but I let you go for no reason. You haven't even apologized. I let you go. It's a big deal. It's the greatest act. I read an article. Actually, I didn't read it. I wrote an article recently. Uh, <laughs> and a number of people here do the same. <laughs> uh, I've been writing a few articles over the year, over this year, on the fruit of the Spirit. And the last one I wrote was on kindness, which is available on the blog. If you want to read it, please, you know, feel free. <laughs> And the title of the article was Prisoners of History. I got that title from something that happened about two or three weeks ago. Two or three weeks ago, Cuba and the USA decided to put away over 60 years of hatred and anger. They're very close to each other, actually. You know, there's a bit of water between them, but they're very close. But for years, they have been, they've hated each other. They've hated each other absolutely. But they decided that they would put all the historical stuff aside and come together again and renew the relationship. And about two weeks ago or so, or I think it was about the 14th, the U.S. Secretary of State went to the capital of Cuba, it's a big deal, big deal, and opened the U.S. Embassy. That is to say, I now call you a friend, I will send one of my people to be an ambassador there. So that is a wonderful, when it comes to diplomatic speak, that is a big thing, you know, you reopen your embassy. So he does that. And in his speech, he said something amazing. He said, you know, by doing this, Cuba and America have decided not to remain prisoners of history. Over the years, they've held themselves bound by what previous presidents have felt about other people. But they've decided we will not live in that bondage anymore. We will break free and renew relationships with each other. 
And in that article, I mentioned three things that make it really, really difficult to forgive. One of them is how raw and recent we feel about what's just happened. If, it is so, if it's recent and raw, we're thinking, ah, it's so painful, I'm not going to let him go. I'm not going to let him go. It's helped me too much. That's one. Two, if it's a big betrayal, you feel a close friend, they let you down big time, or the offense is just too bad, you think, no, 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 I can't let him go. Or, thirdly, if there is no remorse, they do not care about what they've done, they do not give it, yeah, you can feel what you like, and you think, no, I need an apology, or else I'm not going to let go. I can say to you that whilst these things might be true for people that have no God in their lives, Jesus can help you forgive whether these things are present or not. To forgive is not natural. It's actually quite unnatural to let go. We want to hold on. We want people to be paid back for what they've done for us, but God allows us to forgive. Unforgiveness will absolutely do damage to the fruit of the Spirit. If you look at the scripture in Luke chapter 18, uh, in Luke chapter 18, sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 13, it talks about how they fell on rocky ground. And what does that rocky ground mean? Testing times. Testing times came. People offended you. They pushed your buttons. They wound you up. And you thought, ah, I'm not going to let go. Rocky ground. Nothing good can grow on rocky ground. And so, to soften that ground, you have to forgive. Jesus said we should ask God to forgive us as we forgive others uh, in the scripture. And also, there is a parable uh, in Matthew chapter 18, where there's an unforgiving servant, he receives forgiveness from his, fa- from his master for a massive amount of debt, but he feels his fellow servant for a small debt should not be let go, and he was severely punished. And that was God saying to us, quite frankly, there is no amount of hurt anyone can cause you that you haven't done the same many, many times more to me, but I continue to forgive you. And if God is able to forgive us for the wrong we have done, surely we should be able to forgive others as well. Jesus gave a very good example of this. When Jesus was on the cross, I'll tell you what happened before he got on the cross. So focusing on those three things I talked about, yeah? Raw and recent, big offense or betrayal. No remorse. Thank you. So three things. By the time Jesus was on the cross... He had been betrayed by his own close disciple. He'd walked with him, fed the 5,000, everything. He was betrayed by him. Then he was betrayed by the, his, he, the, the, the Jewish leaders who should have been looking after him. They betrayed him. Then they took him to court. The Romans tried him, found him to be innocent, then sentenced him to death. He was let down big time by them. And then when he was on the cross... They were jeering at him. They weren't even saying, oh, we've done a wrong thing here. No. If you're the son of God, get yourself down. You saved others. Save yourself. Yeah? No remorse. But what does Jesus say on the cross? Father, forgive them. Quite frankly, you could argue the offense hadn't even finished. So the clock hadn't even started ticking. And while he was on the cross in pain, in agony, whipped, brutalized, he said, Father, forgive. And I think Jesus gives us a good model or what it feels like, or what it should be, or how a person should refuse to be a prisoner of history. Are you still a prisoner of your history? Are you still struggling with things that people did, maybe your father did, unforgivable in your mind, but really forgivable as far as God is concerned? 
Maybe a, an employer abused you, uh, uh, treated you badly. Are you going to let go and be free? Or are you going to stay a prisoner of your history? The second thing is faith. Cultivating faith is very important. Jesus, if you notice, if you've read the Bible, I have never seen where Jesus said to a person, your prayer is so amazing, I'm going to have to answer it. It's such a beautiful prayer. It's so wonderful. What do you want? Tell me again. Tell me again. Tell me so I can bless you. He never said that. He never said that. But many times he said, your faith is so amazing, you're going to have to receive this thing you're asking for. Faith is crucial. And when his disciples did not have faith, he rebuked them. All ye of little faith. We hear it every day, all ye of little faith. That's where it comes from. Jesus did not suffer people who did not have faith. And one thing that faith does is it produces peace. You're not worried about the future. You are confident. It's going to be fine. So you have peace. A peace that God gives. Worry anxiety are like thorns in the ground. If we look at Luke chapter 8 verse 14, it actually states it very clearly. Some seeds fell among thorny bushes. And what were they? The worries. The riches, of course, and the pleasures. But the worries, number one, the worry was choking it. Are you a worrier? Do people know you as, ah, oh, that lady that's always worrying about stuff? Do your children see you worrying about everything, money and everything? Yeah? Worry would choke the seed. You must ruthlessly eliminate anything, anything that allows worry or fear to linger in your heart. The common fear is a fear of failure. People are, afraid of, are worried about failure. Some are worried about embarrassment. Some are worried about losing something, worried about children, about money. We must rely on God's assurance that God will look after everything. I'll tell you one scripture that actually reassures me, and this one, I've wrestled with this myself, which is Romans 8.28. We know, we know, yeah, we know, that in all things, God works for the good. In all things. The problem here is the all. <laughs> that is the problem. How can you explain to somebody that this really awful thing has just happened? It's actually it's part of the all, and it's working for the good. It's incredibly difficult. But you know what? The scripture is true. We have to believe it, that all things, no matter how awful, are working together for our good. Why? For those who love God, those whom he has called, according to his purpose. We have to believe it. We have to believe it. We must not allow fear or worry or anxiety to find its way into our lives. And if you're a warrior, then today is the day to say, no more worrying. I am going to stand firm on the word of God. I'm going to stand firm on the promises of Jesus because I want to bear good fruit, because I want to have faith so that I'll have joy, I'll have peace. So in summary, because I've said quite a few things, so summary, a summary is needed. In summary, the fruit reflects the tree that it comes from, and God wants us to bear good fruit and reflect his glory. Number two, we cannot bear good fruit without Jesus and his Holy Spirit in our lives. Number three, there are nine fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23, and it appears 
whether they are all linked to love or faith or both. Number four, to bear good fruit, we need to, one, invite Jesus and his Holy Spirit into our lives, and we have to develop good agricultural practices, which is, we hear God's word, we receive it in a good and obedient heart, and we persist with it until we bear fruit. And lastly, to retain a good and obedient heart, we need to watch against unforgiveness and worry or fear. Can we bow our heads for a moment of contemplation? As you reflect on some of the things I have said this morning, where would you place yourself? Have you received Jesus into your life, but over time, your love for him, your love for his work, your love for his word, your love for his children has waned? Life has been challenging, and thorns of unbelief, fear, worry have grown in your heart. Perhaps unforgiveness has hardened your heart. Maybe you are a prisoner of your history. Perhaps the environment in your heart has become inhospitable for the Spirit of God. Maybe you have even quenched the Spirit by not reacting or responding to Him, and you're now running on empty. God is willing to refresh you if you're willing to open your heart to him today. You have to be prepared to let go and forgive those who have offended you. Do you find yourself always gripped by worry? You must now put your faith in Jesus and resist the spirit of fear. Or are you here today and you are saying, I have never made a commitment to Jesus. I have never asked him to come in. You saw the difference that it made when the jailer received Jesus into his life. He had a chance encounter with the disciples in the course of his day job, and he seized the opportunity. You have the opportunity now. What is stopping you? You have the opportunity now, but you don't know what tomorrow brings. So why not open your heart today and receive Jesus into your heart? And if you're here today, and that's you, why don't you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Also, just a, an, an extended offer, if you are here today and perhaps in the last few weeks or months you found that things have been happening, they've just made you re respond in a way that's unusual, you found yourself being enraged by things, people offending you, emails being sent about you, one thing after another is just getting you really, really annoyed and angry, almost like a spirit of offense has jumped upon you. I'd like to pray with you after the service and I'll be at the back. Thank you.
Okay, the band.